Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to another great episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I'm very excited uh, to bring you today's guest, Jerome DeRoy. Jerome, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Earl. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm, I am super excited. We talked a little bit in, in the uh, pre-show work up there about, you, and my listeners know this, you know I'm a, I have a passion for telling stories, especially historical stories, and, and so does Jerome. And so listeners, what you need to know is uh, Jerome joined Narrative in 2007 after the founders handed him a shoebox full of notes that sa- and said, we think there's a company in here. Uh, Jerome had recently left a position at BNP Paribus in Hong Kong and came to New York to pursue a career in filmmaking. He jumped at the challenge that they presented him, and this began Jerome's story with narrative. At Narrative, Jerome helps companies leverage the power of storytelling by teaching them how to end, craft, and tell stories that resonate through a repeated and scalable method. Narrative offers listening and storytelling training programs, one-on-one coaching, and virtual workshops for sales, team building, leadership development, and onboarding. For over a decade, Jerome has worked closely with clients as diverse as Cigna, Boringer, Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals, Janssen Pharma, and Warby Parker to craft business-relevant personal stories for sales, leadership, and team building. And he regularly lectures at Parsons New School of Design in New York City on the art of storytelling. That is a great background. Uh, I love everything that happened uh, in that story there, but I'm really curious with all of that experience, when you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Mm. I, I love that question, uh, you know, and, and in, uh, 
knowing that I was going to be talking on on the Responsible Leadership uh, podcast, I I looked up the um, various definitions of uh, the word responsibility, and there you know there's different ones, but uh, a lot of the the key words or terms that come back are duty uh, to do something in the face of some you know to deal with something that's happening. Um, Accountability is another big one that comes up. Uh, moral obligation sometimes comes up as a definition of responsibility. So there's a sense of, you know, you 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 have a duty to something, and then you also have to be able to bear the consequences of whatever decision you made. And so for me, you know, having that all that in mind, and all my you know almost 20 years now of experience dealing with uh, leadership in the context of what I do, which has to do with storytelling and communication and, you know, how do I put forward my, my message and why I do what I do and why it's important and why others should follow me. To me, there's an intrinsic responsibility in communicating any message. And I think that's the way that I view the term responsible leadership is that every leader has a duty to, first of all, listen to as many voices as possible um, so that they can then make decisions that are inclusive and are responsible uh, decisions that you're not leaving anyone out, uh, especially when you're leading a, a company or a team. You know, I, I've come across so many dysfunctional teams because a lot of times that's what we're called to do. You know, we're called to sort of try to solve an issue that people have in communicating with one another. Um, and whether that's because there's a scientific team that doesn't know how to communicate with a sales team and vice versa, um, you know, or if it's just a, a leader that has a great vision but is, is not capable of articulating in such a way that his people understand it, you know, and so his or her people. And so, you know, that's sort of how I look at responsible leadership is first, is that responsible leader listening? Uh, is there a sign of that? Like how many people are actually have a voice in that company or in that team? That comes directly from the style of, of leadership. If you only hear from one or two people in a company or in a team, that gives me pause. And that makes me think that perhaps, you know, that leader is not practicing responsible leadership because it, it's not responsible in the sense that after a while, if you're not constantly endeavoring to hear from as many people as possible, whether these are, you know, part of your clients or your uh, internal stakeholders, whoever it might be, your investors, uh, then at some point it's going to blow up in your face. And, uh, you know, there's going to be that those voices that you have not been hearing or making an effort to hear, they're going to start speaking up uh, and they're not going to be asking for permission anymore or they're not going to wait uh, for you to give them permission to speak up. And, and that's usually when a, a kind of negative story starts to emerge about the place of work and about that leadership. And so I think for me, you know, there's all kinds of consequences that happen when you don't see that responsible leadership. And for me, it really starts with listening. I, I love everything you just said there, and I'm glad we got that recorded so uh, people can, can go back and listen to that a few times because uh, Jerome has already unpacked a lot of solid gold content right then and there. And, and I'm being serious, listeners, if you go back and just listen to that a few times, uh, this podcast is going to be worth it for you because, um, well, well, let's start at the beginning. You, you said start with listening. 
and I'm sure you've ran into it because uh, I ran into it or run into it all the time. Uh, too many times leaders think that their job is to talk instead of listen. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be asking some of these questions tongue in cheek because I think we're singing uh, from the same hymn book here. Um, but but why do you feel that it is important to start with listening instead of starting by talking? Mm. Well, you know, it, it's important because I'll give you an example from my own kind of early career experience. So as you mentioned in my in my bio, I, I worked uh, for, for a company in Hong Kong for a few years when I right after I came out of business school. And I was educated in, in Europe. Uh, my, my father's French and my mother's American. Uh, and they met in, in Paris in the 60s and then they got married and my mother moved uh, from Georgia to, uh, to live in, in Paris. And, um, and then, you know, had four kids and I was one of them, the, the, the youngest of them. And so I did all of my studies uh, in France and I went to business school there. And then I got this uh, internship uh, for BNP Paribas, which is a bank. And, uh, and then they sent me after that internship, I, my first job basically was um, as a project manager in, in the marketing department um, of this bank, in this same bank in Hong Kong. And so, you know, at 20, and this was all part of the, the business school curriculum, you had to do these internships every year. And so straight out of the, that last year internship, I got this job. And, you know, I was 24, something like that, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and I got to, you know, this whole, literally, for me, whole new world. Uh, I'd never been to Asia before, uh, certainly not to Hong Kong or, or any, I didn't speak the language, you know, um, although most people there speak English, but Chinese is the prevalent language. Right. So it's all those, you know, kind of things that almost stereotypical things that you could imagine, you know, this this young man fresh out of school, arrives on the 15th floor of the glass tower building, you know, with with these ferries shuttling from Hong Kong Island to mainland China. You could see that from the 15th floor. You could see mainland China on a on a bright day. And so I was really excited. I was really excited to start, you know, my, my first um, job out of business school there. And when I got there, my first experience was of meeting the HR director and then she took me down a hallway after showing me where my desk was, which was like this uh, beautiful open desk space, you know, and with lots of people and phones ringing. And, I, and my heart was kind of beating faster and faster as I, as I was observing all of this and picturing myself in the middle of all that. And she said, well, we're not going there just yet. And, uh, and then she took me down this hallway that became darker and darker and darker as oh, no. we were as we were moving forward and finally we got to this conference room that had no windows and and just two chairs and a table and she gave me these two big uh, binders one was one had the words compliance on it the word compliance and the other one had uh, employee handbook on it and she said you need to read these in the next 48 hours so my first two days at this job i didn't meet any of the leaders that I was going to work with. Uh, the only leader that I met was the HR director and, and she put me in a room for two days. And then after that, it took like a, a whole week until I met anyone that was even remotely relevant to my job. So my I went from being really excited when I got there to sort of wondering, hmm, did I make the right move after just one week? Mm -hmm. And finally, 
I met people after that, and I and I met the person, you know, who was going to be my mentor for the next three years. And if it wasn't for him, I would have left that job after six months. But the the reason I'm telling you this about listening is that there was no at no point in that first week did the managing director who was you know kind of my boss's boss uh, did I meet him at any point at no point did I meet my direct uh, kind of boss. Uh, after a week, the one who hired me. Uh, she was nowhere to be seen that first week. In fact, actually, I think she was, uh, my theory was that she was relieved that I had arrived because I arrived in December of 1999, right before the holidays. And so she took her vacation. And I remember someone mentioning that she hadn't taken a vacation in a year and a half and that finally I was arriving so that she could take a vacation. <laughs> so I never got to meet her until a week later. And the only person I met was the person who was going to work with me pretty closely and kind of show me the ropes. But And he was listening to me. You know, that's the first thing he asked was like, how was that first week? And, and I could, you know, I felt uh, safe enough to unload a little bit and say, well, yeah, look, it wasn't really ideal. You know, I was kind of expecting this and that, and, and here's what happened. And, and you know, he sort of explained the ropes to me and the culture of this enterprise, and he told me to hang in there, essentially. Uh, and But he really listened, and that made a difference. But, you know, I, I know from experience that, you know, since then, I've come across so many different kinds of companies and kinds of leaders that when that listening in that first week, first month, isn't really there that you don't as a new employee you don't have someone to go to or you know it feels like the person you have to go to is more about a compliance issue and checking the box than it is about a real you know human that really cares uh, about what's going on with you in those first couple of weeks that's where things really fall down um you know and and i could see it in that company that i worked for at the beginning, you know, every couple of months, there would be someone going into that managing director's office, you know, with their shoulders kind of hunched, and they didn't look too good. And then they'd come out with a brilliant smile on their faces and standing upright and saying, I quit today. <laughs> and, you know, that managing director who eventually I got closer to, you know, he would come to me and he'd kind of put his hand on my shoulder and say, well, I guess they're all leaving because other companies pay better. And I was like, no, it's because you're a terrible listener. <laughs> you, know, you need to pay attention to what's going on around you. You know, it's it's that same managing director who would have these Monday morning meetings with the whole team, and and his back would be to the to the audience the whole time. You know, and it was only seven or eight people, so it wasn't like a big audience. Uh, and he would just go through his PowerPoint slides and and never turn around. And so you know, there was no engagement there. And, and so that's why I always say, you know, things have to start with listening because I understand listening as not just you know, being there sort of, you know, uh, nodding at everything that somebody's saying, but it's really about engagement. You know, how are you engaging with your people? It doesn't mean that you have to go to everybody's, every single person's desk and listen to everything they have to say to you, but what are the ways that you are making sure that they're engaged in such a way that if there is an issue, if there is some kind of communication breakdown, you can become aware of it fairly quickly as opposed to you know letting something kind of fester again so much solid gold there because um yeah i mean uh, this has been a common theme uh throughout a, a few of my guests I've, I've had a few folks on here who've done high level negotiations for uh you know, like international conflicts and things like that 
and and that's a, a common theme is listening. Uh, you know, one individual was, uh, you know, he had to keep kind of things very vague, but he was like, I'm sitting in a room with a, a, a dictator that we're trying to uh, solve geopolitical conflict with. And this individual just starts talking, just starts talking, just starts talking. It's tell me everything about how terrible America is, how terrible Europe is. And I'm just listening. And he, he said he goes on for probably a good five or six hours. And then finally, he goes, you just see his body language change and he kind of does the okay what do you think about everything I just said and he goes I was able because I was listening I was able to go back and I said you know this is what I heard and he goes that was a total game changer in the negotiations because his demeanor changed just for the simple fact that I listened to what he had to say and he actually said, nobody ever listens to what I have to say. And, and uh, you know, I like sharing that story because, I mean, I think that's kind of powerful. When we're talking about dictators, they usually are, don't have a very positive connotation. But this power of listening, if you can take a dictator and solve a geopolitical, uh, you know, dust up by just listening, that, that to me equates how powerful this is. And, you know, I say on this show all the time, I tell folks, you know, leadership is just another relationship and no relationship works without listening, does it? Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is that so I, you know, I, I have a, a company that specializes in storytelling, but and yet we always start with listening. And so the assumption is that uh, and, and, you know, rightly so, that I'm going to teach people how to tell a great story and, and how to engage their audience with that story. Uh, but the thing is that no matter how great your story is, if the listening is not there, that story will never have any impact on mm -hmm. the audiences that you want to move into action, right? And so that's why you really need to pay attention to that. And, you know, I say that it starts with listening. And it's not just that it starts with listening to the people that are, you know, around you and making sure you include their voices uh, and what they're saying to you and taking it in so that you can include that in your messages and include that in your story but it's also acknowledging that you are your first listener that you know when i'm in front of my computer and there's no one around and i have a blank uh, slate in front of me blank email blank word document and i have to start writing i am my own listener in the sense that i start to hear a voice. <laughs> and I don't mean that I have some kind of psychiatric issue, but uh, <laughs> that's for another discussion that maybe we should ask my family about. But, uh, but you know, in terms of we, we all have these moments where if something is at stake, there's this kind of voice that comes on in our head that can be a little bit of an obstacle to what it is that we have to say. And it has a lot to do with in opinions and judgments and interpretations and all these things that go on, you know, the to-do list and the priorities and all the things that I think, you know, are obstacles to our ability to just be present, not just with other people, but even to ourselves and to what's important to us, you know. And so we kind of take it even, even further to say that you are your first listener and you're responsible for the way that you listen to other people. You can't control how other people are going to listen to you, but you can certainly control how you listen to other people. And the problem is that we take listening for granted. And we just think that by showing up at the meeting at such a time and being there in front of a person, there, our listening turns on. 
But actually, we have all these obstacles that get in the way and that we haven't really um, we haven't really observed or we haven't really studied. And so, you know, as a result, there's things that we just do out of habit that are really not helpful to the way that we listen. Like I was, I was in a uh, in a meeting with a, a high-powered ex- executive. You know, the, someone that was really the, their the, the growth curve was was really big, and Forbes had just written an article about their company, et cetera. And and we came in to to work with their team, and she was saying, you know, I, I really don't know what's going on, but ever since we've grown, there's there's these communication silos. We used to be this tight-knit group, uh, but now you know that we've got new people in. I feel like everything has changed and no one's really listening to what I have to say or there's not as much respect or there's not as much collaboration etc we're working in silos that didn't used to be the case and the first thing that I noticed is that this person in our meeting as she was discussing all this she had two cell phones in front of them that were on that she had not silenced for the meeting one was constantly pinging and she would look down at it at every ping she had a laptop that was open uh, and that one, the emails, you could hear the bling, bling of an email coming on. And, and I told her, and then we looked around, my, myself and my colleague, we looked around the office and we noticed that in this big open desk floor that they had, which was really designed for people to communicate and to connect with one another, that was the, the she even talked to us about that. We noticed that everyone had a similar setup, at least two cell phones, a tablet or a laptop, sometimes both, and everything on at the same time. And, and we told her, you know, that's your first issue. It does every meeting that happen. Is everything on all the time? And she said, yes, of course, yeah, because if, they, if there's an emergency, we have to be right on it. And, and I said, well, actually, you need to reconsider that because the more you're growing, the more people come in, the more this message is being given that actually the time that you spend with other people is not as precious as what's going on on your phone or your tablet or your laptop, that is sending a subtle message to everyone that actually they don't really matter, that the employees in here don't really matter when they meet with you. Because every time you meet with someone and they come with to you with an issue, you're actually paying attention to other things. Now that may not be what's going on in your head because you have all the best intentions, right? But actually, that's the message you're sending. And it was like a game changer for her. And they changed you know, a few, a few things in terms of how they did meetings and, and that sort of thing. But the more we got into it, the more we saw and were able to identify with them all these obstacles that were getting in the way of people being able to listen to one another. And it's only when we, when we identified all those obstacles and started to look for ways to address those so that these obstacles could be released uh, or at least acknowledged and dealt with, that then we could start to look at, okay, what's your message? How do you want to communicate that message? And how do you communicate with your team? But without starting with that listening, if we'd gone right into the messaging and right into the story, we would have missed a whole thing and it would it would not have had the impact that it eventually had. Yeah. No, again, a lot, a lot of great stuff there. And, and I think you hit on one, especially in the, the era of COVID and, and uh, online meetings and all of the distractions there. And, you know, everybody thinks that they can multitask and, and all that. And, you know, we've, yeah. science has proven you can't. You, you do what's called thin slicing. You rapidly switch from one task to another. And I uh, always tell people, you know, uh, I like to find wisdom in, like, uh, unconventional places. 
And to me, one of my muses was a character from the, the TV show Parks and Rec, uh, Ron Swanson. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, this similar scenario to what we're talking about here was going on. And he was uh, kind of mentoring these young uh, volunteers. And he gave one kid this piece of advice. He says, son, he goes, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's comedy. It's a comedy line, but it's brilliant because, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, in, in, in uh, you kind of got that. But what I heard from, from what you were saying there was, you know, there was a lot of incongruency in the messaging of saying, hey, I'm, I'm saying this is important, but I'm prioritizing other things. And that yeah. perpetuated throughout the, the organization, exactly. which made everybody else think that this was the priority. Exactly. You're modeling something as a leader. So you really have to be super aware of everything you're doing and, you, and you've got to be quite intentional about it. And so, you know, I, I, I often tell people to go back to their values, essentially, and, and guide them, especially in a moment of change. And, you know, we've certainly gone through many different crises over the last two years. And, you know, how do you navigate those? Um, and, and so much has to do with the way that your your modeling behavior uh, for others and I think you know talk going back to this idea of responsible leadership I think leaders really have a responsibility to pay attention to how they are communicating and and really look at you know what's my even what's my body language here what you know like that example that I gave you know it's it's a simple fix to to put away those devices for the time that you're meeting someone and and you know and maybe you need to then have fewer meetings if you're not able to commit fully to those to those meetings that you're in you know and that's another thing we discovered in that company is that there were many meetings that that weren't actually necessary and people were kind of getting fed up of that um, you know fed up with that so so yeah I, I think it's all these these subtle cues that we're giving our audiences um, and, and you know everyone picks up on it even if we're not aware of it there's something unconscious that's being communicated and that's that can be really beneficial or it can be really dangerous you know so yeah. the more you're aware of of those cues and you're aware of of you know why you're doing something and and I always tell people go back to your values because that really should guide you you know and and every organization should have should have values they usually do but a lot of times nobody knows what those values are or they see a bunch of words, you know, on, on a brochure or on a, on a wall or in the onboarding packet that you received and at your new, you know, remote job that somebody sent you. Uh, but you read those words and, and they don't really mean much. Um, so, so I always tell people, you know, make sure you have a story that's linked to these values so that people can understand where it is that you're coming from and how you define these values uh, because then and only then will they be able to sort of hang their hat on it and say oh right that's that's your story of you know the value of you know responsible leadership for example you know that could be a value of an organization and that story shows me you know what that means to you and so then you're asking as a leader what story do you have um, you know, around responsible leadership. And, and then we can start to make connections between those th- those stories and you start to have a, a collective culture that, that you have a little bit more control over, that you're able to shape because you're, you're gathering these stories and you're actively asking people to come up with their own definitions of those, of those values that, 
that you've held dear for the whole time you were in this company or founded this company. Um, but then now you're discovering from other people, you know, what do those values mean to them? And you're probably hearing from them, the more you listen, what their values are and how they define their values. And then you can kind of tell if somebody's going to work out or not, because if your values are really at odds with one another, if you're hiring people whose values are not in line with the values of the organization, at some point, no matter how great those people are and skilled they are, at some point it's not going to work. They're either going to leave or you're going to find out some, some things that you know, just don't work for the way that this company is supposed to, to function in the world. Um, so so that's, I, I think that's something you know, for people to think about is what are those values and how are you expressing those values? Are you, are you making sure that everybody understands what they mean? And, and stories are a great way to do that. Yeah. Uh, again, I agree. And I like what you said there. And you, you kind of uh, brought up a, a big passion point of mine when talking with folks is, you know, there is a big difference between hearing and listening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're in hearing mode. We're not really listening. Um, and, and I think that is one of the key pieces whenever I'm talking about communications, I always try to really drive home the point communication is much more about what is heard than what is said. Um, and, and I think that is a key piece that a lot of, a lot of leaders miss, you know, cause the, I, I get the, well, you know, this is what I said. I'm like, well, but is it? Because this is what your people are telling you that they heard. Right. Right. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a quick story here of a gentleman I was working with. Uh, he was an organization. They were going through kind of a budget uh, issue and uh, they had a very, very healthy relocation benefits package. Mm. And uh, it was it was costing them a lot of money a year was, as people would move, you know, from different branches to different uh, regions and that sort of stuff. And in one of his calls with his managers, uh, they were talking about budgets. And he happened to mention, you know, hey, when somebody moves, you know, from one region to another region, it costs the company about $110,000 in relocation benefits. Um, lo and behold, the next round of hiring comes through and there's almost no internal selections. They hired mostly off the streets. And that was a big change in past hiring practice. There was a very upward mobile uh, organization and thought maybe it's an anomaly. So the next hiring cycle comes through and the same thing happens. So he starts asking his folks, he's like, why did we stop hiring folks and, and you know letting folks move around? That's kind of one of the hallmarks for organization. And the managers told him, so, well, you know, on that, the, the last call, you said it costs too much to move people around. Uh, and you wanted us to start hiring off the street so we didn't have to pay relocation benefits. And he's like, I'm looking through my notes. I'm looking through all this. Like, none of that was anything that I had said. And, you know, after kind of really thinking about it, that was what it was. Just simply saying, hey, this is how much it costs. People had interpreted that as that's contributing to our budget issues. We need to stop. And, uh, you know, it, it, it cost a lot of people jobs that they'd been waiting for. Uh, but it was just this simple misinterpretation and poor, poorly stated messaging from the leader as to what was going on. And uh, and then we really, like you said, uh, a lot here, and I'm agreeing, we have to be really, really careful uh, with that and cognizant of, of what we're actually saying versus what we are trying to say. And that's a skill that takes a lot of 
it takes a lot of active listening on your part, as you've already pointed out. So how can people, like, do you have any good tips for people to develop that active listening skill? Yeah, I mean, I think the first the first step really is to, you know, what I often see is to stop trying to interpret uh, what someone else's needs or wants are. And I know I'm going, I'm flying in the face of everything that I was taught in business school. You know, marketing 101 is like, what does your audience need? Who's your audience? And then cater to that, right? I think when you're in a position of leadership, you're, you're not doing marketing. You're, you're really truly genuinely trying to figure out, you know, the best way forward. And, and you have to take into account that you have a whole team of people to do that and, and that those people have thoughts and feelings of their own and, and wants and needs, of course. But you kind of have to start with yourself and seeing what's getting in your way of your ability to connect with somebody else and to connect with the subject at hand, you know, like what is it that you're trying to communicate about? What is it that, what is this whole endeavor that you're trying to get people excited about? And and there's a lot of obstacles, what I call obstacles to listening that occur. And so I think the job is to first, if you want to become a much better active listener, is to just notice what gets in your way. Because, you know, we, we have five categories of obstacles to listening, uh, and I can list them really briefly here just to show that everybody has them. That's kind of my point. So, you know, the first is environmental external obstacles. So your sounds, noises, you know, that happen. If somebody's drilling in the next door room, it's really hard to, to listen, right? Uh, you know, the second is physical, physiological, what goes on with the body. If you're in pain or if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, or if you need to go to the bathroom, really hard to listen in those situations. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's all the things that go on more internally. So like the the internal obstacles is our third category of like the to-do list, you know, and this sort of running chatter or commentary that happens just all the time, uh, you know, and, and just noticing what that is for you, you know, are you kind of future oriented while you're listening to somebody else? Are you thinking of what you're going to say next, as opposed to listen and you're looking for a space at, at which you will be able to place that really great line that you've been trying to place for the last week, you know? And so all you're listening for is that, and you're losing half of what people are saying to you. Uh, you know, the fourth obstacle is around meaning making. And as soon as we meet someone, we have a judgment, or we have an opinion, or we have some kind of interpretation about who they are and why they dress that way and where they live and why they, you know, drive that fancy car instead of this fancy car, you know, whatever it is, but that all happens in our minds all the time. And finally, the last obstacle is, is around relationships. You know, it's, it's what we call relational and, and that has to do much more with titles and labels we put on people, you know, so, so if someone comes into the room and they have a title of CEO, you might listen to them very, very differently than if they have the title janitor, right? And so these are all the things that go into one's own listening. And if you're able to classify and, and categorize these just like I did and notice when they happen in the moment, and just start identifying that. And then once you've identified them, try to see what are some of the practices in your life where those obstacles and those voices start to quiet down. You know, for some people, it's you go for a run. For others, it's, you know, you're with your family, whatever it might be. But for everybody, there are these moments where we feel a little bit more at peace. 
And so how can you bring in some of these practices into your professional life? Uh, you know, even if it's just taking a, a few breaths when you're, when you're in a mode that's just, you know, kind of reactive, right? Somebody said something that rubbed you the wrong way, and now it's really hard to listen to them, right? Um, and so I think that it starts with that, just being able to identify that for yourself. And the more you do that for yourself, the more you will notice that you're not alone, that every single person has these obstacles to listening. I'm pretty sure, I, I can bet even that the monk on top of a mountain, you know, has these same <laughs> obstacles to listening and they're endeavoring desperately to, to try to, you know, remove those obstacles. But that's the thing, it's that, it's it's what makes us human, you know, so it's so it's not about trying to eradicate, you know, all the all those habits, but rather know that they're there, acknowledge them, and stop judging them for being there or beating yourself up for not being able to remove them entirely from you know your existence. But just notice that everybody goes through this. And so that when you're in a situation where you hear something or somebody says something or you notice that you're off because of one of your obstacles, you're able to stop the conversation and say, look, I've got an obstacle to my listening right now. Um, can we take a little break? I need to deal with something. You know, it's that sort of confidence that you start to build and that sense of permission. And, and it lets your audience know and whoever you're speaking to that you care about them, that you care enough about them to say, you know, my listening is not 100% with you right now. In order for it to be 100%, here's what we need to do. And then I'll come back to it, right? Yeah. Um, that often really, really helps. And so I think these, these kind of simple... Um, but difficult to put into practice strategies uh, are, are worth looking into. I 100% agree, and I'm glad you got to, to the point where uh, you know you, you threw the the piece about caring and 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 bringing back to relationships because you know listening is one of the the easiest ways to show people that you care. You care yeah. about what they're saying, and and you know I, I'm I'm reminded of two greats. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Brene Brown puts it very bluntly when she says, you know, people give a damn that you give a damn. Uh, but the the one I like that's put a little bit more elegantly is, is uh, uh, Colin Powell. And uh, he said, the day people stop bringing you their problems is the day you stop leading them. They've right. either lost confidence that you can help them or they've concluded that you don't care. Either case is a failure of leadership. And so what Drew and I have been talking about here is, is this skill, this listening, uh, active listening, building relationships, that's the easiest way to show your folks that you care. Um, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift here a little bit because uh, we just got a few minutes left in the conversation here because uh, I can hear people, I can hear my listeners right now like, okay, this is great. We get it. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to listen. But how do I tell a killer story, Jerome? How do I tell a killer story? So how, how do you tell a great story? I know, and it's great, you know, because what we've done kind of mirrors the process that I take people through, yeah. because that is how clients come to me, you know, and, and they expect, okay, here we are, the first five minutes, I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to critique it, and we're going to make it fantastic. And I'm like, whoop, 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 hold on, we've got, we got to start with listening here, we got to <laughs> see what those obstacles are, we got to try to release those, and then and only then will a story that's really genuine uh, will will to to what needs to be told for a specific audience will emerge. So once you've done all that work, the way to tell a great story, um, we have a, a, a two sort of fundamental principles that I can share here with you and your audience. Um, one is to remember where you come from 
remember your heritage because so many of our uh you know the 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 experience that shaped who we are today as a leader as a as a team player you know all those uh, things that you do in your job right now something happened to make you really good at that thing right to it, you you built a strength over many years and often those happen in childhood they happen in uh, college in high school whatever or in sports teams um, so I often ask people you know remember that remember where you come from maybe there's even something that your grandparent at some point told you or something you read about one of your parents that was really influential to you or maybe there was a teacher that was really influential so I so I ask people to think of the people first and and then you know experiences start to emerge when you start to think about that the second thing has to do really with the nuts and bolts of what makes a really great story. And this is kind of a fundamental thing. And now that I'm going to share it with you, I think you and your listeners, uh, I might ruin uh, movies and novels and things like that uh, <laughs> for a while, because a lot of people don't do this, uh, certainly in the business world. Uh, and that is that every story should be the answer to a simple question. And that question is what happened? And the problem is, that most people think they're telling a story, but what they're really doing, or think they're, they're telling you what happened, but what they're really doing is they're telling you what they felt about what happened, what they thought about what happened, what their opinions were about what happened, what their interpretations and judgments were about what happened. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm talking about is when you're telling a story, you are sticking to the facts of the experience that you went through. So for example, I, and this comes from my own, you know, I told you the, a little bit of my story of, of onboarding, right? Like the, the first week in that, in that bank. But mm -hmm. at some point I left that job. And, you know, I, I, can, I can tell you one version, uh, which I was sort of telling a lot of people at the time was, you know, I'm really not passionate about this and I'm, I'm not quite sure what I want to be doing, but I just know that I need to be doing something that's a bit more creative and more meaningful. And so, you know, I, I think I've, I've made that decision. I'm going I'm to leave this job, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to go and do something else. So that's one version. And we're used to this kind of speech, right? There's not much story in there. And there's certainly, you have no idea what happened, right? So if, but if I tell you that one day after one of those Monday morning meetings that I described where my boss never turned around to acknowledge anyone, I went to my computer and I typed in three things in my search engine. One was film, the other one was New York, and the other one was business. And then a few months later, I walked into my boss's office and I told him, Lawrence, I quit. And then a few months after that, I was in New York City and I met Murray Nossel, the founder of Narrative, the company that I now lead, right? Mm -hmm. So these are all events that actually happened and I can put in as much or as little detail as I want to or as my audience needs to know for each of those moments, right? The moment that I go to my computer and type in those three key words, the moment that I walk into that office and say, Lawrence, I quit. The, I can describe the mahogany desk. I can describe the floor to ceiling windows, you know, and I can describe even what was going on in my body that I was literally shaking. I had to hold my hand because it was shaking so hard. Most people think they're telling you a story when they say things like, 
oh God, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to burst. I thought my heart was going to burst and I didn't know what I was going to do. All I knew is I wanted to do something creative. And so, you know, I, I just, you know, and there's that, that sort of thing, right? But when you just say what happened and you use all five senses to describe what happened, you're letting your audience in and you're giving your listeners the freedom to make up their own interpretation, to have their own feelings and thoughts about your story without feeling like someone spoon-fed them the, the thoughts and feelings that they were supposed to think and feel, which is something everybody hates. We all hate to, to be told how to feel and how to think. And so if you just say what happened, you're not going to run into that problem. Yeah. No, that is that is great advice. That is great advice. And and it makes a lot of sense. Like uh, as you were sharing that and especially right before you mentioned the senses, I was taken back. I grew up in northeast Tennessee, uh, not far from from Dollywood, uh, which I know a lot of people give Dollywood grief. But I promise you, if you ever get a chance to go, it's a great park. Um, but she had and this was sometime in the mid 90s maybe late 90s she did this great experience kind of around her life story you know it's been made into a couple movies you know songs yeah. the whole nine yards but what what sticks to me to this day kind of tying in with what you were saying is she called it a fully immersive experience and i remember sitting there and they're telling the story and she talks about you know uh it was you know it was a rainy day or something like that right and all of a sudden you hear the thunder crash and there's this flash of lightning but then these old misters came on and like there was actually like droplets start falling out and like you're like oh my god it's raining and then she starts talking about something else, you know, like the, the, the Smoky Mountain evenings. And you start smelling, you know, this the, the, the smell of dew and leaves and, and woods. And it, it did. I mean, it just it sucked you in. I remember yeah. this, you know, that was almost 30 years ago now. And I still yep. remember it like it was yesterday. Um, yes. And so that's great. That is fantastic. And that's, you know, and that's just to 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 build on what you just said. I mean. You know, you remember that because th that is the science behind storytelling. Right. You know, I I've I started talking about the science of storytelling instead of the art of storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's both. Uh, there's definitely an art to it. But I think, you know, people sort of forget that there's a lot of scientific evidence for why stories are so effective and why people remember them. We, we actually have a brain function that responds specifically to stories, and we know this because they've done studies on the brain where they put people in PET scans and, and, and uh, seen that when you listen to a story, there are certain areas of the brain, they call them wires, that start to fire. And, and the same wires start to fire when you tell a story. So, and, and it's particularly helpful when you're using the five senses. It stimulates the brain in no other way you know, there's there, there's a study that was done where they showed someone describing putting, you know, they just said, and then I put my gloves on. And then they co contrasted that when looking at what was going on in the brain, when they said they put the leather gloves on. And at the word leather, the brain just was completely stimulated, right, and really right. engaged. And so, so that's really, I think, you know, important to remember because a lot of times people are like, well, yeah, but in a business context or, you know, as a leader, do I really need to go into the details of, you know, how smoky things were or, or what, you know, what, what the senses were in the moment and what things looked like and, and felt like? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you yeah. do. Because that will 100% engage your audience's brains 
uh, at, at like nothing else will, and they will remember it. It's just then a question of finding the right balance, you know, of, of too much detail or not enough detail. But I think too many times people err on the side of, you know, ah, I don't know if those details are really relevant, you know, let's just get right to the stats and right to the data, and that's what people need to know. But actually, all that stuff doesn't stick. What sticks are those uh, sensory details. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Well, Jerome, we've covered a lot of ground here, and we just uh, passed about 45 minutes or so. And wow, that uh, I flew feel- by. Oh yes, it did. Uh, it, it was great. It was a lot of a lot of content there, and I'm going to have to, uh, you know, potentially have you back on here to talk about this some more because you know I could, I could geek out on this for for a long time. Um, but I'm just kind of curious with the stuff we have talked about today. Uh, before we do get out of here, is there anything that you really want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? I, I you know I would really encourage people to start to look if they haven't done so already to start to look at their lives, um, you know, in these, in terms of these moments, you know, what were the moments that were, in, in storytelling parlance, we talk a lot about turning points, right? And that's a moment of change where you were on an expected path, you know, so I was expected to, out of business school, get into finance and just climb that corporate ladder until, you know, I, I, would, I would be, you know, one of the top honchos in a bank somewhere. And, and then something happened, a turning point happened, and then, you know, that set me on a path that was unexpected. And every single person has that in their lives. And I would really encourage people to examine those moments and examine the people, you know, who made those moments happen or who influenced those moments. Um, you know, that idea of, of remembering where you come from, it's also remembering those really important moments in your life, whether it's a, a divorce, a marriage, or death, whatever it is, but something that that meant that you were going to have to find another path, and because those, and the reason I say that is is because those moments are really prime opportunities to to have you turn those moments into stories that will make you much more relatable and much more memorable to others. It'll show your human side when you when you kind of show these moments where that were a little bit, you know, where you felt a bit more vulnerable. The more you can kind of go to those moments and see if you can shape that into a story and then start sharing that. I, I encourage people to do that just to see what kind of impact it has on their audience and what kind of you know, stories are they going to receive in return? What kind of information are they going to receive in return? So I think start there. Look for those turning point points in your in your life, and and see if you can turn those into stories that will. I think what happens is that it opens people up, and and you receive as a leader, you receive new information that you maybe wouldn't have received if you hadn't shared that about yourself. Mm, that. You you started with solid gold and you ended with solid gold. I love it. That was great stuff there. Um, So, Jerome, uh, you know, folks want to find out more about Narrative, want to find out more about what you do, what type of services you offer, maybe have you come in and work with their organization. What is a great place for folks to find find out more about all that? Yeah, sure. Well, the first thing is to get the spelling right. Uh, (laughs) So, Narrative, the way way that we spell it is N-A-R-A-T-I-V, so just one R and no E. Uh, and go to narrative.com, which is which is our website. And uh, on there, I highly encourage people to go and check out our blog because we post a lot of content there, lots of great resources uh, around some of the things we talked about today, but also many other 
other things that are specific to these items of leadership, sales, uh, team building, onboarding, uh, even advocacy if you're in a nonprofit or, or foundation uh, field. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that we have a book uh, that's out and that's been that was published by McGraw-Hill Education, and that's called Powered by Storytelling. Uh, it was authored by uh, my business partner, the, the founder of Narrative. His name is Murray Nossel, N-O-S-S-E-L. Uh, so that's under his name, and it's under our brand uh, called Powered by Storytelling. And it's a great book because it takes you each, it's seven chapters, and each chapter is a step of the method um, that we've come up with and, and you know, have been um, have been uh, giving to people for the last 20 plus years. And so you can really learn for yourself how to tell a powerful story uh, if you follow each chapter of this book. Um, so, so yeah, so those are the, our website and this book are the two best ways. And I would add a third, which is that we started a podcast of our own uh, not that long ago. We, we just finished our first season. Uh, and my life goal now uh, is, is to have uh, a great podcast like yours, Earl. Um, and we're, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. And you're, you're certainly an, an inspiration. Our, our podcast is called Story Talks. Um, and so as the name indicates, we have guests, you know, who tell us stories about how they came to do what they're doing and what shaped, uh, what moments or people shaped who they are today. Uh, and they're from all walks of life. So uh, I encourage people to go there. You can find Story Talks from Narrative um, uh, anywhere you find uh, podcasts. Outstanding. No, thank you for the kind words there. I really appreciate that. And I will make sure to get all of that in there, especially the podcast. I always like to uh, to help people promote their podcast because uh, I think most people don't really get what kind of a, a slog it is to get out there and get seen and, and listen yeah. to and gain traction. So we'll definitely make sure that gets in there and, and uh, uh, see if we can drive some traffic there for you. Um, awesome. Jerome, brother, it has been an amazing time. I hate to see it come to an end here, but I just want to say thank you very much for being an outstanding guest, sharing your your stories, uh, sharing your method, sharing your insight uh, with me and my listeners. So thank you very much for being an outstanding guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. 
Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.